This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 329. So Sunday is, uh, today is Sunday, April 2nd, 2023. And as usual, I'm covering the news and rumors stories that caught my eye for this past week. Kalari Vision takes photo quality photography to new heights. Mean-spirited netizens refer to poor-quality photos as potato quality, implying that the derided photographer used a potato instead of a camera, Kalari Vision wondered. What would happen if a photographer really did use a potato, though? To find out, the team set off on a journey that took them beyond the produce section of the local green grocer and to Grand Rapids, Michigan, where Kalari teamed up with autochromist and expert analog photographer John Hitty. And there's some interesting photos in this story in the show notes. The goal was to build a 100% potato camera with a potato lens. Beyond the camera and lens, there must be a means of recording images. Potatoes can achieve this feat, too. The autochrome process invented in the early 20th century uses microscopic red, green, and blue colored potato starch grains to record color plate images. Light passes through the potato starch grains and on, on top of the autochrome plate, which produces full-color positive transparencies. The Science and Media Museum explains the autochrome process in excellent detail in an accompanying article, which you can find in today's show notes. Quote, throughout the project, we experienced many fumbles and laughs, disappointments and triumphs. Some of our attempts were successful, while others fell short. However, we never gave up. We believed in our project and in the power of potatoes, says Kalari Vision. Ultimately, the team proved the photographic power of potatoes. Quote, we were able to create true potato quality photographs that were unlike anything else in the world, Kalari says. The starchy shots captured the charming quality of the potato. Despite being April Fool's and the internet joke origins of a potato camera, the camera itself is authentic and John Hitty's expertise is incredible. The project also brings attention to the autochrome photographic process, which was an extremely impressive development in the history of photography and based on Hitty's work, still clearly a powerful means of artistic expression. Beyond autochrome photography, Hitty works with other distinct and experimental analog processes, including wet plate, uh, gum bichromate, and cyanotypes, bromoil, pinhole, Lipman plates, daguerreotypes, and more. For readers inspired by the potato camera, Hitty wrote an exhaustive three-part tutorial that will teach photographers everything they need to know to make autochrome prints, potato not included. And I thought this was a really cool story, and it's wild because I've over the years, I've seen uh, cameras made out of all kinds of interesting things. And the potato is just another one in the long line of odd items that people figure out a way to use as a camera. Explore the underground home of 11 million priceless photos. 
Around 50 miles, 82 kilometers north of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and 220 feet or 67 meters underground, there are roughly 11 million images protected by armed guards. This incredible repository is the famous Bettman Archive, which houses photographic records of many of history's most important moments since the first camera was invented in the early 19th century. BuzzFeed News let Petapixel know that it published an exciting deep dive into the Bettman Archives, including many must-see images. Thanks to rare opportunity from Getty Images, BuzzFeed News photo editor Kenneth Bakor and contributing photographer Ross Mantle deliver an informative look at the incredible archives that readers should go check out. The Bettman Archives, now owned and operated by Getty Images, was started in New York City in 1936 by German immigrant Otto Bettman, who had been a curator, curator of rare books in Nazi-occupied Berlin. Bettman was dismissed from his position at the uh, Prussian State Art Library, where Adolf Hitler began forcing Jewish people from civil service. Upon arriving in the U.S., Bettman continued his curatorial work and rapidly expanded his image collection by advertising in magazines. When he came to America, Bettman already had about 15,000 images he bought, brought overseas in a couple of trunks. In 1960, Bettman moved his archive from 215 East 57th Street in New York City to the Tishman Building at 665th Avenue. During his lengthy time in charge of the archives, Bettman developed an impressive business model that still persists. He licensed the images he collected to editorial and advertising clients, including famous photos like Charles Clyde Ebbett's Lunch Atop a Skyscraper, the Apollo 11 moon landing, Malcolm X meeting Martin Luther King Jr., the Hindenburg exploding, and Queen Elizabeth II posing with her famous Corgus. In 1981, the same year he sold his archive to Cross Thompson, Thompson Organization, a 78-year-old Bettman told the New York Times that instead of visual cliches, I provided clients with a graphic shorthand that illuminates the present by revealing the past, preferably with humor. The Cross Thomas Organization then sold the archive to Corbis in 1995. Corbis moved the archive from Manhattan to the Iron Mountain National Underground Storage Facility in 2001 to 2002 to preserve the litany of photos and film negatives. Getty Images took over the collection in 2016 before Visual China Group acquired Corbis. BuzzFeed News asked Bettman Archives two archivists, Leslie Stauffer and Saren Kubrick, uh, about their day-to-day -day lives working in one of the world's most secure and vital photo archives. Each day, Stauffer and Kubiak work alongside a priceless collection of images. Mantle's images make the collection look oddly mundane, with old-school filing cabinets, industrial shelving units, and lots of cardboard boxes. However, the collection is anything but mundane. The Bettman, uh, the Bettman is housed in a high-security facility. Iron Mountain bought the defunct limestone mine from U.S. Steel and created vaults for many other private businesses and government agencies. Their safety measures ensure the protection of all their clients' assets. Every day when we enter the mine, our cars, belongings, and, per and persons are searched similarly to TSA, Kubiak uh, explains to BuzzFeed News. The archive is located 220 feet underground and is the furthest business within the facility. The mine is made up of streets that have unmarked doors hiding all the treasures inside.
The Batman collection is stored in an air lock protected vault that is 38 to 42 degrees Fahrenheit and 40% humidity. Even with the protection offered by the Iron Mountain National Underground Storage Facility, a former limestone quarry, the archives will not last forever. The storage room's temperature is being gradually lowered to a chilly minus 4 degrees Fahrenheit, minus 20 Celsius, which film preservationist uh, Henry Wilhelm concluded was the ideal temperature for the archive. At this freezing temperature, the photographs will degrade about 500 times slower than in New York City. Stauffer and Kubiak's path to the archives is an interesting one. Quote, we both started working at the Bettman Archives as Slippery Rock University graduate student interns in 2004. We were later hired by the Corbis Corporation as full-time employees, explains Stauffer. They both transitioned to working for Getty Images following Corbis's sale. In the excellent article, the archivists deliver extensive insight into the archives' operations to BuzzFeed News, including that their office has no running water to protect the collection. They work in a challenging environment with understandably strict procedures, but they find their work extremely rewarding. Quote, we provide the photographic evidence of historical facts. Making the historical photography contained in the archive accessible to the public is what's rewarding, says Stauffer. Quote, being able to provide our clients with imagery that specifically meets their needs so they can tell their stories in a unique and differentiated manner is the most rewarding part of the job for me, Kubiak adds. Surrounded by so many iconic and amazing images, do Stauffer and Kubiak have particular favorites? Find out and learn the full story of the Bettman archives and see dozens of excellent behind-the-scenes photos at BuzzFeed News. And that's really cool. I didn't realize that there was a massive photo archive in the Iron Mountain Underground Storage Facility in Pennsylvania. That's actually pretty cool. And hopefully they can keep these 11 million priceless photos around for as long as possible by maintaining strict, strict environmental procedures at the facility. 146 photographers, one book, putting together a massive photo project. A recent email from a photographer friend congratulated me on successfully navigating the minefield and walking a very tricky tightrope. These sound like dramatic ways to describe the production of a book, but it's true that creating the new Big Five has been a massive challenge, a two-year task that involved working with hundreds of photographers, conservationists, and wildlife experts, and tens of thousands of images, balancing the personalities and requirements of people and organizations with my central idea and mission for the book. It's been a long road. I first had the idea for a new Big Five more than a decade ago. The original Big Five is an old term used by colonial area hunters, era hunters in Africa for the most prized and dangerous animals to shoot and kill. Elephant, rhino, leopard, cape buffalo, and lion. I was on assignment in Botswana years ago and heard the word shooting for taking pictures, which sparked something. I spent a lot of time thinking about how outdated trophy hunting is and how wildlife photography is far more meaningful to people around the world these days. I thought it would be cool for a big five of wildlife photography rather than hunting to exist, shooting with a camera and not a gun. In 2019, I started working on the project, not just a cool idea. I wanted to use the project to generate interest in serious wildlife issues like habitat loss, poaching, the illegal wildlife trade, and climate change. 
A friend built the new Big Five website, and I started reaching out to photographers, conservationists, and wildlife charities. Ami Vitell and Art Wolf were the first two photographers I talked to. They liked the idea and offered their support, as did others, including conservationists such as Jane Goodall, Paula Kahumbu, Wildlife Direct, and Ian Douglas Hamilton, Save the Elephants. I spent months working on articles, interviews, photo galleries, education packs, and a series of podcasts for the website with people like Brett Streiton, uh, Nick Brandt, and Maria Cano talking about wildlife photography and conservation. I launched the website and global vote to decide a new Big Five in May of 2020. It was a massive commitment around two to three years of work overall. I got a bit of funding for the project later on, but was but mostly I was working on my own time unpaid. It was hard trying to balance the project with making a living. We announced the results in May of 2021. The new Big Five species are elephant, polar bear, gorilla, lion, and tiger, five iconic species, but each one facing serious threats to their existence. Ambassadors for the many other species, from insects to marine giants, also at risk of extinction. I, I, it was always my hope to produce a new Big Five book. I contacted publishers with the idea. Several got in touch, keen to work together. I chose to work with EarthAware Editions, as I felt it was the best fit to achieve what I wanted to with the book. Like a lot of photographers, I'm happy to be behind the camera. In most situations, I'm invisible, unseen, working on taking photos and writing articles. I've never been the kind of person eager to put myself front and center in a project or to go around bothering people for favors or support. That made working on the new Big Five project and book a strange experience, as I've now spent around five years reaching out to people, asking them to come on board. But encouragingly, 99% of the people I contacted said yes. Many of the photographers who supported the project were happy to be involved with the book, including many photographers whose work I've long admired. Ami Vital, Art Wolf, Marcel Van Oosten, and Paul Nicklin. Ten years ago, I'd have never expected to be put together to be putting together a book featuring work from Steve McCurry, but despite the fact he's better known for pictures of people, there's a beautiful mountain gorilla of his in the book. The finished book includes one of the most impressive sets of world-class photographers I've seen in any book or exhibition, including those above and Thomas Mangelson, Kareen uh, Agner, Agner uh, Franz Lanting, Brian Scurry, Beverly Jobear, uh, Garana Rupra, Christina Mid, uh, Mideri, Lucas, wow, there's a lot of tough names in here, Butsman, uh, Butsman Susie Estraz, Gail R. Vand, Wei, Daisy Gillardi, Steve Winter, Zhang Zhang, Maria Kano, uh, Dreetman Mukari, Shannon Wild, Bill Buard Lucas, David Lloyd, Jonathan Angela Scott, Thomas Vyagen, uh, Mark Edwards Harris, Tony Wu, and many more. And I'm sorry if I butchered any of your names. Some of them are kind of tricky to pronounce. Uh, so I apologize. I've been asked a few times how I managed to persuade such a vast collective of great photographers to be part of the project and book. It starts with asking. So many photographers love wildlife and nature and want to see it protected, which means many of them are happy to be part of a project working towards that goal. 
It helps if your aims are sincere. I wanted to use the project and book to try to make a difference. Clear communication is also important, making sure people understand what you're trying to achieve. I always explained my goal was to use the new Big Five idea and great photography to raise awareness about urgent issues facing creatures from land, sea, and air. People are ready to support a good idea if you communicate it clearly and if they believe in what you're doing. I've given my own help to other people's projects in the same way. I've contributed photos, time to fundraising, print sales, including prints for wildlife, prints for nature, and vital impacts, which have raised millions of dollars for wildlife organizations, including African Parks, Big Life International, Sea Legacy, and Jane Goodall's Roots and Shoots. Everyone has busy lives and everyone is trying to make a living in difficult times, but most people, myself included, are keen to help when and where they can and to contribute to trying to make a difference. Sometimes a bit of persistence was required. Photographers are often away on assignments for weeks or months, so with some people I was keen to include, I sent a few emails and follow-ups. But the response was usually positive. Only a few people I reached out to declined or failed to reply. I've always treated every person with respect regardless of who they are, and that's also important, never taking a photographer or their work for granted. We paid the photographers in the book for their photos, as photographers should get paid for their work, though fees were less than they'd usually receive for their images. The main motivating factor seemed to be their support for the project rather than the money. It also helped that the project had reached, uh, received global attention. It was a positive initiative that ran through the dark days of the pandemic. A lot of photographers contacted me wanting to get involved, and a lot of this I put down to the fact that it was simply a good idea. The book has taken around two years of work. At least 16,000 photos were submitted. It's been a huge organizational and logistical task, working through weekends and late nights, downloading and sorting images, looking through picture after picture. I responded to every photographer who got in contact, regardless of whether we featured their work in the book in the end. The book contains the work of 146 photographers, but I spoke with hundreds more and tried to give everyone's work a fair look. The fact people were sending me their images wasn't something I took for granted. I also scoured through Instagram accounts and websites looking for a specific species or type of photo. People ask how I was able to get so many photo uh, photographers involved, but I could have filled dozens of books, not just one. So great was the volume of incredible images. The book really is just the tip of the iceberg, not just of remarkable wildlife photography, but just how many at-risk species there are around the world. The number of endangered species could fill libraries. Looking through the photos in the book is really a powerful reminder of the beauty and diversity of the natural world and what we stand to lose if we don't take urgent action to protect wildlife and the planet. My priority with the book was that every photo had to justify its place. It had to be an outstanding photo, but there was also a balancing act, making sure there weren't similar photos and that there weren't too many portraits or too many aerials, making sure that a diverse range of species were included, not just iconic animals like rhinos, giraffes, and whales, to little-known frogs, fish, and insects, and that the chapters worked as a whole, the images working together. We put strict rules in place. Every photographer signed a contract to say their photos represented reality and that they hadn't used baiting or any behavior that could cause stress or harm to the animals. 
We only included species listed by the International Union for Conservation of Nature, or IUCN, as critically endangered, endangered, or vulnerable, or similar in-country assessments, which also created challenges. There are many worthy species that haven't been assessed yet, and many fantastic photos we had to cut as they fell outside our restrictions. Some discussions with photographers came to dead ends. They had fantastic photos, but we couldn't quite find the right fit. The process meant tough calls, boiling everything down to 226 photos in the book. I had to remove pictures by talented photographers who I wanted to include and to take out photos of species I desperately wanted to highlight. This is all part of the tightrope walk. One of the most unpleasant parts of the process was telling photographers who had been enthusiastic about the project and keen to be included that we could not feature their work. One thing I set out to do with the project and book was to showcase outstanding work from photographers from around the world. Everyone knows the wildlife photography industry has been dominated for decades by white male photographers. This is also a serious historic problem with wildlife documentaries, filmmaking, cameramen, wildlife TV presenters, and conservation itself. People like Kenyan conserva uh, cons conservationist Paula Kahubu CEO of Wildlife Direct, who wrote the foreword for the book, are changing that narrative as well as working to protect nature. She hosts Wildlife Warriors, a groundbreaking TV series produced with an African crew that focuses on black African communities and conservation leaders. I didn't personally want to put out another book or project that perpetuated the idea that wildlife photography is a white male domain. Before launching the project, I spent several months reaching out to photographers, wildlife charities, and photography organizations, photo festivals, and scouring through Instagram to find photographers of different backgrounds and races from across Africa and around the world, rather than just including the usual faces. For the book, I spent many more months doing online research and talking to people to find non-white wildlife photographers to work with for the book. I wish I'd been able to go further. I hope to in future projects, but I'm glad that the book includes so many female photographers and many black, African, Asian, and Latino photographers. Uh, the images in the book represent photographers from more than 30 countries, including Botswana, Kuwait, Mexico, Japan, Ecuador, India, Kenya, Brazil, and China. The book and project are both far more powerful for the fact that it's drawn on the best creative people from around the world rather than excluding some people. I wanted to try to be part of the solution. I think when other people look at the book and all the photo uh, photographers in it, it would be hard for them to create their own books and projects with almost exclusively white male photographers and still make the excuse, the excuse that it's because there weren't many great female or non-white photographers out there. As this book clearly demonstrates, that isn't the case. There's outstanding talent all over the world. I worked in the same way with the conservationists and experts in the book, including essays by Anish Anhira, Wildlife Conservation Trust, and Dominique uh, Gonclaves, uh, Gergosa National Park, and interviews with people like the indigenous Amazon campaigner uh, uh, Nemant Nimuku, Amazon Frontlines, and Daniel Sopia, Masai, Ma, uh, the Masimari Wildlife Conservation uh, Conservancies Association, there is still a huge imbalance in photography, filmmaking, and conservation. But I think the era, era of wildlife photography and conservation being so dominated by white men is coming to an end, and for good reason.
Not having women or people of different races or nationalities involved isn't just wrong, but it's also counterproductive. It isn't good for photography or for wildlife conservation. Any project dealing with so many people also means that there have been personality issues, including one or two difficult conversations and unpleasant moments I'd be glad to leave behind. You cannot please everyone. Not everyone appreciates your intentions. There can be differences of opinions and misunderstandings. We live in a world where people like to attack or criticize, jump to conclusions, or get their facts confused. Overall, though, working on the book has been a positive experience. I've become friends with photographers from all over the world. It's been a learning experience studying the work of so many photographers, an education I'll hopefully be able to apply to my own photography. It's also been encouraging to have created a project that has a feeling of community and a shared mission that people believe in. Action is urgently needed on wildlife issues, and the main takeaway message from, for me from working on the book is that there are many positive, talented, inspirational people around the world who are ready to collaborate and give their help if you ask for it. The new Big Five, a global photography project for endangered wildlife by Gourmet Green, is now out at EarthAware Editions for $75 or €62, Euros, available at InsightEditions.com, Bookshop.org, and Amazon with a forward by Paula Kahumbu and an afterward by Jane Goodall. For more on the new Big Five project, see www.NewBigFive.com and follow on Instagram at NewBigFiveProject. Raymond Green is a journalist, photographer, and author. See more of his work on GourmetGreen.com and follow him on his Instagram. And I think this is a fantastic project. I've always been an avid wildlife photographer. I love capturing wildlife, and I've actually gotten a National Geographic cover with a photograph of a male lion that I shot back in 20, late 2014. The book came out in 2015. And I think this is a wonderful project that they put together to try to help raise awareness for con conservation of these endangered species. I think that's absolutely a fantastic thing to do. Varlin's app review, bringing the film experience to the iPhone. It's easy to overlook a good third-party photography app on a smartphone because they just keep popping up, but Varlin's may be one worth keeping close by at all times. Its official title, at least on the App Store for iOS, is Varlin's hyphen DSLR for iPhone. The DSLR part is telling because it refers to adding some manual control to Apple's phones that require third parties to deliver. But that's really on only a part of what this app does because the value proposition is in the multitude of film emulations it offers. Again, not a new thing. Other apps have already done it, yet there is something unique about how Varlins lays it all out and what the results could say about how to introduce or reintroduce smartphone shooters to the artistic qualities that made films so unique. First, it's worth pointing out that the app is free to download, but it will cost you to unlock everything it offers. While discounts do happen, you can choose to pay $2.99 per month or as low as $14.99 for the year. The 2045 Singularity, which amounts to a lifetime subscription, goes for $74.99. These figures can always change, but even if they do go up, you won't be, it won't, they won't be expensive compared to other options on the App Store. In fairness to the developers behind Barlands, they do cram a lot in for the price. That's why it's probably best to break down the app into a few of its constituent parts. For starters, it brings in as many manual controls it can squeeze into the interface. 
On top of the standard shutter speed, ISO, white balance, exposure, and spot metering, it also lets you choose between manual, automatic, or continuous autofocus, as well as RAW or Pro-RAW. Even for video, you can select from Dolby Vision and HDR10. A smart HDR setting also lets you opt for a de-sharpen mode when you want to push back against any excessive sharpening when the phone processes a photo after you've taken it. Rather than give you shortcuts to each rear lens, you get an on-screen dial with callouts to focal zooms that coincide with each lens on the iPhone. That's why 0.5 times and 3 times stood out on the iPhone 13 Pro I tested the app with. I would have preferred easier shortcuts to the other lenses because it takes too long to get to them in, in a pinch whenever I had to quickly change focal lengths while shooting. I could also choose to have grid lines, including a leveler, zebra stripes for clipped highlights or shadows, and a histogram present on screen at all times. Focus peaking is also available in manual focus. Formatting also varies, ranging from standards like 4 to 3 and 16 to 9 to 21 to 9, 3 to 2, 6 to 7, and 1 to 1. You can also shoot in full to cover the phone's screen. Tapping the question mark icon leads to a quick refresher over what the controls do, where to find them, and how to use them. Useful for beginners, but also for seasoned shooters who want to move fast when shooting with the app. Film emulations abound. Tap the balloon icon and a filter menu pops up showing a series of film or photographic styles. As of this review, Varlens has roughly 40 of them, some of which are storied and accomplished. Think of Leica's M10 and black and white along with classics like Kodachrome 64, Kodak Gold 200, Pro Image 100, Tri-X 400, Fuji Velvia 100, and Ilford's HP5, among others. A Varlens representative confirmed with Petapixel that there was no collaboration with any of the brands who created the original film stock. It is instead more an homage to them, and it also explains the legal tightrope likely involved since the names for these films are largely generic or slightly altered in the app. And there are some beautiful images in this story in the show notes. An array of other filters complement these uh, those emulations, and some of which are similar to Lightroom presets or personalized styles coming from photographers in various countries. A few come from movies like Dune, Tenet, and Amelie. Uh, Others are more generalized with names like Sunrise, After Rain, Mint, Young, and Romantic. You have to download each filter you want to use so that it becomes readily available to you. No matter how many you want to take, you can get to manage them, uh, including the order and categories in which they appear. The best part is you're not limited to just those uh, Varlins give you. It lets you import your own, including LUTs for video, so long as they're .cube or .3dl files. I found the easiest way to do this was to upload the files to either iCloud, Google Drive, or OneDrive and access them from there. Once in, the filter appears in your list, letting you name it how you want. In a subsequent update, Varlins added what it calls presets as a separate section made up of small group of emulations, this time for retro cameras. As I write this, they are the Nikon F2, the Contax T2, the Fujifilm Instax, Ginfax Z80, and Pentax 67. Whichever one you select lets you make all kinds of adjustments to how much of the effect you want, as well as split toning, HSL+, curves, and even visual treatments like grain, light, or date stamps. 
This is an interesting take on bridging together cameras from yesteryear with the iPhone, though I wasn't always thrilled with the results. That's why I appreciated the granular, granular control to find a mix that worked best with both my style and the subject I was shooting. Unlike filters, though, you can't import any uh, anything into this section, so for now, it's just what's there in front of you. With so many iPhone users around, it was easy to compare shots with others, regardless of their photography knowledge or experience. Most telling was the overwhelming response to both the quality and versatility of what the app was giving me. The simulations aren't like the pedestrian ones overrunning apps like Instagram, which more than a few people have used over the years. There is an artful elegance to much of what Varlin's presents changing the perception of a simple snapshot in the eyes of others to something more interesting. More than that, novices I spoke with liked how simple it all seemed. They could just choose the filters they liked most and shoot in auto, whereas others more comfortable with manual controls could fiddle with various settings. Shooters of all stripes will find something to work with. Auto and manual modes are joined by portrait, time-lapse, light trail, and program. The app saves two versions of every photo, particularly if you shoot in RAW or Pro-RAW. There's the HEIC image with the chosen filter or preset, plus an untouched RAW image you can work on later. The best part is you can apply any of the filters or presets to a RAW image after the fact, which you can then tweak within the app's own settings or migrate over to a program like Lightroom or Capture One, for example. It might be overly optimistic to assume an app like this could teach every iPhone user something photography, but the granularity is hard to ignore, especially when the filters are so well thought out and lacking the cheap, imitative qualities rampant on social media. Indeed, the app is so deep and interesting, I all but abandon Apple's own camera app, save for the odd night or low-light shot to take advantage of the proprietary processing Varlins doesn't have access to. Even for video, the app makes things interesting. Under the lens menu, you can select anamorphic with either a 1.33x or a 1.55x letterbox effect. You can shoot with any of the lenses, including in 24 frames, 25 frames, and in 4K up to 60 frames. For 240 frames per second slow motion shots, you'll need to dial it down to 720p. I mentioned Dolby Vision and HDR10, though you also get ProRes, the one downside is you can't apply any of the filters or presets to footage shot in Dolby or HDR10. Whatever you shoot, the bar, bar lens is still limited by what it can tap into the iPhone. Low-light night shots won't benefit from Apple's computational processing, making them more susceptible to shake. There is also no bracketing mode within the app to offset that, unless the developers bring it in a future update. While I thought it would feel a little gimmicky to use it, the app won me over by its sheer level of customization and bringing film-style photography to the iPhone. I could tell developers put some thought into making emulations, and it shows in how different results can turn out relative to other apps, including ones purely for editing. While it can take time to figure everything out and how it works and where everything is, I don't see any reason why any iPhone user interested in photography shouldn't at least try it out. Of note, Varlens is currently on iOS, and when Petapixel inquired about an Android app, Rep said it is in development and set to launch sometime in the second half of 2023. It's not clear if the app will work different between Android phones or not, but what we will be on the lookout for when it finally goes live. 
Look in the App Store and you'll find other apps offering uh, film simulations, or at the very least, enough manual and granular control to make photography look and feel different on an iPhone. VSCO comes to mind, as do Halide Mark II, Moment Pro, Pro Camera Plus, and Hipstamatic X, among many others. Each of those have their strengths and are certainly worth keeping handy on your iPhone, but Varlens earns its keep along with them based on what I experienced after shooting with it for three months. Should you buy it? Yes, it's worth the cost. Anything that fosters creativity for mobile photographers in such a user-friendly way is worthy of consideration. If you're down to learn more about and shoot better on an iPhone, this is one app that can certainly help. And I thought this was a really cool article, and I might have to check out this Bar Lens app for myself just to see what all you can do with it, because it might be interesting, unique, and fun. Elegant and unbelievable crystal clear photos with a crystal camera. As evidenced by Leica's seemingly infinite supply of special edition cameras, photographers care about style. The passion for sleek, svelte cameras is perhaps matched only by the desire for crystal clear images. Enter Photodiox Crystal Camera blending the best of both worlds. For just $75, style-conscious shutterbugs can hit the streets with a 100% premium-grade crystal camera. Photodiox line of crystal cameras promises to satisfy even the most demanding photographers with details, detailed carvings and a built-in lens. With a crystal camera, convenience and class are combined. Now, let's see. Taking the crystal Leica M9 into the field, Sean from Photodiac shows off the crystal camera suite of features. The crystal Leica is a beautiful camera and sports a super compact form factor at two-thirds the size of the standard real Leica M9. An attached carved Summicron 28mm f2 lens is easy to slip into a jacket pocket, perfect for street photographers on the go. Crystal cameras are beautiful cameras. They're a joy to shoot with, and they take crystal clear images, Sean says. I've had a blast taking this camera out and taking some nature and landscape photography. For better or for worse, the crystal camera isn't lightweight. Don't fret, photographers. Its heavyweight design gives it alternative practicality as a paperweight or even a bookend to keep a collection of photo books upright and organized. Talk about a triple threat. What can it do, aside from capture photos, that is? Usability is essential, but viewers want to see Sean's photos after importing them into his computer, disappointment sets in. Without an image sensor, memory card, or any picture-taking abilities, the crystal camera comes up shockingly short in the image quality department. Perhaps the images are there, but just so unbelievably translucent that they're invisible. Although the photos may not exist, the Photodiox crystal camera itself certainly does, and that's no joke. Uh, Photodiox offers scale models of the seven cameras, including the Sony A7 with a Sony FE 28-70 F35-56 OSS lens, the Fujifilm X-T with the XF 18-55 F28-4 RLM OIS lens, the Nikon D90 with a standard kit lens, the Leica M9, Sean Featured, and more. There are even a couple of retro offerings, including crystal replicas of a Roloflex camera and a Hasselblad 503CM. Each beautiful Photodiax crystal camera is $75 and available at the accompanying link, which you can find in this article in today's show notes. So, interesting. I had a feeling it was a little bit of an April Fool's Day joke, but uh, I guess they do actually sell these crystal camera replicas. So, it is kind of cool. You might want to check it out.
Photographers made an incredible 114 gigapixel tour of Barcelona. George Palov and Michael von Ochberger collaborated to create an impressive 114 gigapixel virtual tour of Barcelona, Spain, complete with tagged landmarks, camera information, and controls for exploration. Palov is an architect and panoramic photographer from Bulgaria, so it's easy to see why he would be drawn to a project like this in this beautiful city of Barcelona. Ochberger is a photo engineer and photographer from Germany. The two first met in Sofia, Bulgaria, Palov's home in 2021, to shoot the largest image ever taken in Bulgaria. And there are some interesting photos in this story. The photographers wanted to take on another project together, settling on Barcelona for their latest gigapixel creation. Palov tells DIY Photography that the photographers selected Barcelona because of its exciting cityscapes and the hills surrounding the city. And there is even a YouTube video in this article that you can check out for yourself. Quote, we spent about seven days in Barcelona, and on three of them, the weather was good enough for gigapixel photography. We made the most of it, Palov says. During the three days of shooting, Palov and Ochberger uh, captured enough images to create eight massive panoramas from four locations. The subsequent three months of stitching and processing resulted in 114 gigapixels of combined data. The project was personal for the two enthusiast photographers, so they used their own equipment, including a Swiss-made panoramic robot and a 45-megapixel Canon EOS R5 mirrorless camera. For many images, they used an adapted Canon EF 600mm f4L IS Mark II telephoto lens, occasionally with a 2x teleconverter. For the panorama of the Sagrada Familia Cathedral, they used a Canon EF 200 f2.8L USM Mark II lens. Beyond the challenges of capturing the source images, gigapixel processing includes its own hurdles. The photos are extremely large, too large for different photo editing applications like Adobe Photoshop. Each of the eight panoramas is more than 70 gigabytes. Wow, that's some big images. The image processing also includes basic retouching and in some cases focus stacking more than 100 files because the shallow depth of field of the 600mm f4 lens results in some buildings in the foreground and background being too blurry. Common issues the pair encountered when making gigapixel panoramas is lens vignetting and heat haze. For vignetting and light equalization, we use our own tools. None of the available commercial tools can handle this very well, so it doesn't look bad. Create stri uh, stripes in the final output, Paolo tells DIY Photography. Unfortunately, there's no suitable tool to overcome image quality issues due to heat haze, so a planned shoot at Tibidio, uh, a hill overlooking Barcelona, had to be scrapped due to weather and time limitations. Following the extensive processing workflow, Palav and Ochberger added tags of famous places in Barcelona to their panoramas, making it useful for locals and tourists alike to find landmarks in the city. They also included information specific to the famous Sagrada Familia Cathedral, among the most famous churches in the world. With photographers in mind, the pair included technical specifications that can be viewed by clicking an info button. Information includes shutter speed, image size, and how long Palov and Ochberger shot at that location. Whether a photographer lives in Spain, hopes to visit Barcelona, or enjoys huge panoramas, they should investigate and explore Palov and Ochberger's incredible gigapixel panoramas. There's so much to see, and it's much easier to appreciate the work that went into the project by viewing it on gigapixel.bg.
For one gigapixel panorama, we had to shoot hundreds, sometimes thousands of images, which were then stitched into the very big panoramas, George explains. It was an immense effort for us to finalize the project, but we think it turned out great. And I think that's really wonderful that these guys took on this project, and I'm definitely going to check it out for myself, and I encourage all of you to do so as well. And I'm going to take a break right here, and then I'll be right back. We hope you're enjoying this edition of the Liam Photography Podcast. The best way to support the show is to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else that you get your podcasts. If you want to leave comments or suggestions for future episodes, you can call or text the show at area code 470-294-8191. And you can email the show at liam at liamphotographypodcast.com. You can find the show notes and links at liamphotographypodcast.com. And you can tweet the show at liamphotoatl using the hashtag liamphotopodcast. And now, back to the show. And we're back. And now we'll head on over to Canon Rumors for the rumor portion of today's episode. The Canon EOS R5C is now Netflix approved after the latest firmware update. This past week, Canon released new firmware for the Canon EOS R5C that improves image quality in C-Log3 when shooting AVC or MPEG-4. It turns out this update has allowed the Canon EOS R5C to be approved for Netflix productions when shooting an XF-AVC 4K. Why Netflix has an approved camera list to help creatives produce their best work and create compelling visual experiences for our audience, Netflix requires 90% of a program's final total runtime to be captured on approved cameras using the following capture requirements. For nonfiction content, this threshold may be more flexible. We collaborate extensively with the creative community, camera manufacturers, and globally recognized experts to approve cameras that support reliable and flexible production workflows. Approved cameras have been evaluated by Netflix technologists to ensure that they meet image capture benchmarks for dynamic range, color accuracy, detail, rendition, signal-to-noise ratio, resolution, and key workflow requirements. These evaluations help our partners know they're using the best and most appropriate capture technology when telling their stories. And I think that's really cool that now with the new firmware update, Netflix has approved the R5C. It is a fantastic video-centric camera for shooting compelling stories. Canon recalls certain Canon EF 50mm f1.2 L USM lenses. Canon has announced a recall for certain Canon EF 50mm 1.2 L USM lenses. Phenomenon. When shooting in a high temperature environment, the intended exposure may not occur and the brightness of the captured image in the same scene may vary or the error error 01 may occur. Free repair acceptance period until March of 2026. Check with your regional Canon repair department to arrange repair if you have one of the affected serial numbers. Interesting. So it's good that Canon is standing behind their products many years after they were sold on the market because that lens has been around for quite a long time. Nikon UK accidentally posted a new camera development announcement on their website. Canon U- or Nikon UK, excuse me, accidentally posted a new camera development announcement on their website for the Nikon ZM medium format mirrorless camera. Uh, apparently, the press release was online for around 30 minutes before it was taken down, and a Nikon Rumors reader took a screenshot and sent it to me. 
Nikon announces development of the medium format ZM mirrorless camera. London, United Kingdom, 1st April 2023. Nikon is pleased to announce the development of the professional high megapixel model for the Nikon Z mount using a medium format sensor. The full-frame Nikon MX format mirrorless is scheduled for release in 2024 and represents a significant leap in medium format performance to deliver uncompromised image quality. If anyone has the rest of the press release, please send it to me at the accompanying link. And this sounds to me, honestly, like it was an April Fool's joke because I highly doubt Nikon is going to dip their toes into the medium format market um, when they've already dropped a third in the standard full frame and APS-C market, you know, losing second place to Sony. Viltrox is rumored to release the popular 75mm f1.2 APS-C lens for the Nikon Z-mount and announce a new 16mm f1.8 full-frame lens. Viltrox is rumored to announce the following lenses later this year. The Viltrox AF 75mm f1.2 APS-C lens for the Nikon Z-mount and Sony E-mount. The Viltrox AF 75 1.2 lens already exists for the Fujifilm X-mount and has been very popular. It only makes sense to release it for other systems. The Viltrox AF 16mm f1.8 full-frame lens not confirmed yet, but most likely will be available also for the Nikon Z-mount. Most, most third-party lenses for Nikon are covered in an accompanying article, which you can find in this article in the show notes. And I definitely do not blame them for wanting to make that lens available for the Nikon Z mount and Sony E mount because that 75mm 1.2 is a stellar pro-grade lens. And I had to have one for myself. It is an amazing piece of glass for sure. And now on over to Fuji rumors, breaking Fujifilm to launch revolutionary fake shot feature with mid-journey firmware update. Fellow Fujifilm X and GFX shooters, we've got some exciting and maybe controversial news to share with you today. We've heard a rumor that Fujifilm is set to release a firmware update that will change the game forever. The update will introduce a revolutionary feature called Mid-Journey, which will allow users to create fake images with just the press of the shutter button. Above, you can see a screenshot of the press release as one of our sources is about to pull it live in a few hours. Thanks for sharing with us. That's right. You heard it here first. With Mid-Journey, you'll be able to capture stunning shots that never actually happened. Imagine, just point your camera to a tree and tell the built-in Mid-Journey feature to add a rare bird resting on the branches. You'll be the envy of all your photography friends with your seemingly impossible shots. But wait, there's more. Mid-Journey isn't just limited to wildlife photography. You can use it in any genre of photography to add that extra element of surprise and creativity to your work. Want to add a unicorn to your landscape shots? No problem. Want to make it look like you captured the perfect moment between two people who weren't actually there at the same time? Easy peasy. We know some of you may be concerned about the ethical implications of creating fake images, but we assure you that Fujifilm has thought this through. The company has stated that Midjourney will only be available to those who have completed an extensive online course on digital ethics, ensuring that all users are responsible and considerate with their new superpower. So mark your calendars and get ready for the biggest game changer in photography since the invention of the camera itself. Fujifilm's Midjourney firmware update is set to release later on today, April 1st, and I can't wait to see what incredible images we create. Happy snapping from Patrick. And of course, this is an April Fool's joke. <laughs> nice job though, Patrick. That was pretty clever. 
Fujifilm Europe launches stunning deals on the Fujifilm X-T5 and X-H2S. Save up to 400 euros or 360 pounds. In addition to the ones that are already uh, uh, run a while uh, and expire on April 16th, Fujifilm Europe has launched new deals that include the Fujifilm X-T5 and the Fujifilm X-H2S. Down below is the full list. Deals that expire June 30th. Note if you buy at Amazon Italy, make sure to buy only gear shipped and sold by Amazon to qualify for the cash back. Note Amazon Italy is qualified retailer, but Amazon UK and Germany are not qualified. Note purchase cameras and lens together so they appear on the same bill. The XT5 body only or XF 18 to 55 or XF 16 to 80 save 100 euros or 90 pounds. At, in Germany, at Calumet DE, Photo Earnhardt DE, Photo Koch DE, in the UK, at Wex Photo Video UK, Park Cameras UK, in Italy, at Amazon Italy. The XH2S with the XF 150 to 600 saves uh, 400 euros or 360 pounds. In Germany, at Calumet DE, Photo Earnhardt DE, Photo Koch DE, it's all the same retailer, so I'm not going to read them all again. The XH2S with the XF 100 to 400 save 300 euros or 270 pounds. With the XH H2S with the XF70 to 300 save 300 euros or 270 pounds. With the XH2S with the XF200 F2 save 200 euros or 180 pounds. And deals that expire on April 16th, the XF 14mm F2.8R save 300 euros or 210 pounds. The XF 18mm F1.4 RLMWR save 150 euros or 90 pounds. The XF 23 1.4 RLMWR save 100 euros or 70 pounds. The XF 33mm F1.4 RLMWR save 100 euros or 70 pounds. The XF 50mm F1.0 RWR save 200 euros or 260 pounds. The XF 56mm F1.2 R save 450 euros or 375 pounds. The XF 10 to 24 F4 R OIS WR save 150 euros or 110 pounds. And all of those are available at all of the previous retailers. For the EU GFX deals, the GFX 50S2 save 800 uh, euros or 700 pounds, and the GFX 50S2 uh, plus the GF35 to 70, F45 to 56 save 800 euros or 700 pounds. You can claim your money back in Germany for the X series or GFX series in the UK and in Italy. And that's going to wrap up Fuji rumors for this week. We'll head on over to Sony Alpha rumors to wrap up this episode. Sony ZV-E1 YouTube Reviews. You can pre-order this camera in the USA at B&H Photo, Amazon, Adorama, and in the EU at Photo Earnhardt, Photo Koch, Calumet, and Wex UK. And there are several YouTube videos on this camera, reviewing this camera by several, uh, multiple uh, influencers, if, if you will, uh, along with uh, some great videos and great content on this new camera that was just announced by Sony. Now, keep in mind, this is a full-frame vlogging camera, so it's a video-centric camera, and uh, it looks like it's going to be really exciting for the vloggers that really want it. It has the same 12-megapixel sensor as the A7S III. And last up, Sony interview at DP Review clearly hints that next Sony APS-C camera will have a 26-megapixel FX30 sensor. DP Review had a chat with two Sony managers, and they surprisingly 
spelled out one clear information about future product. They clearly stated new APS-C cameras are in development, and they hinted that the next camera might use the same 26-megapixel FX30 APS-C sensor. As you know, a couple of weeks ago, I told you Sony will announce a new high-end APS-C camera in late spring. Well, it's not really that of a, that of a rumor anymore. Here are some highlights from the interview. About the health of the camera industry, I think the industry's health is very good, better than expectations. New demand is also increasing, for example, vlogging, demand for video, and young creators. Of course, still photography is coming back because people can go out again. What Sony does better than the competition. Compactness, lightweight, the lens lineup, and of course, new cutting-edge technology like AI or digital signal processors. I know competitors will catch up with us, but we have to lead this market with our cutting-edge technology and innovation. About third-party lens makers. I can't say anything about our company's strategies, but we're always considering the advantage of a total ecosystem. Sony is developing our business around the growth of email, so as an entire ecosystem. We have a wide variety of products, not only bodies, but also lenses. Each product connects using only one mount from APS-C to full frame, from entry level to professional, from still to cinema camera. This is a real ideal ecosystem. Expanding this ecosystem around the E-mount is our strategy. About APS-C, I know many customers like small cameras and longer focal length lenses. We understand there's a huge opportunity and demand in the APS-C area, so we've never stopped our development of APS-C cameras. Also, as you've noticed, the FX30 has a brand new image sensor. That means stay tuned. About the vlogger market, we need more newcomers and new customers entering the imaging industry to keep our industry healthy. Vloggers, especially young creators, are leading this trend. That's why in addition to stills photographers, we're focusing on young creators, Gen Z. They're entering the imaging world by shooting vlogs, so that's how we support them. And that's really great, and there's also an accompanying YouTube video that you can check out in this article for yourself. And that's going to wrap all the news and rumors for this week. Remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you're in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 329 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, anywhere else you might be catching your podcasts. If you're not a subscriber already, why not? It's absolutely free and doesn't cost you a thing, and there is a massive back catalog of episodes that you can go back and listen to. Also, please remember to stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, 
watch the videos, like them, comment on them, share them out on social media, and hit the little bell icon so you can be notified when new content drops. My next video, the third one in the Photography 101 series, will be releasing tomorrow, which will be on shutter speed. So make sure you hit that bell icon so you can be notified as soon as that episode drops. All right, that's a wrap, folks. I will see you all again on Thursday.